Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. We thank you for just bringing us here together. Um, We pray, Lord, we will continue to be able to worship together. Uh, I know we see the daily reports, the pandemic, uh, the concerns. Lord, we just pray that we will be able to continue to come together, gather together, worship together. And Lord, we pray at this time, we just be able to sit at your feet and to hear your word. May your spirit stir in our hearts, encourage us, exhort us. We just ask for your blessing over this time, Lord. We thank you and give this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So last week we started Philippians, and the title of the message last week was Partnership in Ministry. We looked at Paul's partnership with the brethren in Philippi, right, the church in Philippi. Today's message is titled Perspectives in Ministry. Now, I don't know if you know the saying, how many of you know the saying, our eyes can be deceiving. Have you ever, has someone ever told you that, your eyes can be deceiving? Yeah. You know what that means? What do we mean by that when we say our eyes can be deceiving? In other words, are you confident that the things that you're, you're seeing you're seeing it as you should see them. Are you seeing things correctly? Are we seeing all that we need to see in a given situation? I don't know if you've ever seen these. Have you seen this picture before? What do you see? How many of you see an old lady? How many of you see a young lady? How many of you see both? How many of you see neither? <laughs> All right, that's, that's good. All right, so maybe you've seen that. How many of you have seen this for the first time? Okay, a few of you. How about this one? What do you see here? How many of you see a donkey? How many of you see a seal? How many of you see both? <laughs> How many of you see neither? All right. How about this one? How many of you see a duck? How many of you see a rabbit? How many of you see both? How many of you need some time before you raise your hand? (laughs) Hopefully you can see one or the two. Right? Have you seen these? These are kind of fun, right? There's some other ones that takes you some, some time to see. How about this one? How many of you see a frog? How many of you see a horse? How many of you see both? How many of you see neither? <laughs> okay. When did you see first, a frog or a horse? Really? Interesting. Uh, interesting. Most of you saw the horse first, then the frog. All right. Is this your first time seeing things like this? Any of you? Some of you? A little bit? So what do you see here? An old lady and a young lady. Now can you see both instantly? Someone's shaking their head like, I don't know what I see. Okay. Perspectives can change 
the outlook and attitude about a given situation, right? Your perspective. In difficult times, perspectives, or how we choose to see things, greatly affects how we respond to a situation, right? It can be very easy to be pessimistic about a situation. It's very easy to complain about something or question God's trustworthiness and love in a given situation, right? Isn't it very easy? When we experience challenging situations or trials, it's very quick, it's very easy to complain, to question God, question His love. That just kind of seems to be a perspective we can easily and often have. But what if we're able to see something different? What if what we see is not all that's going on? Right? What if we can look with a different perspective about a situation? What if our priorities can shift when it comes to seeing a difficult uh, situation, especially in difficult times? I talked about perspectives in ministry. That's the title of the message. We face adversity in ministry, right? Those of you who have been here since the beginning of, of Generation Church, you understand that you can face adversity in ministry. Sometimes I feel like if there isn't conflict in ministry, I question or I wonder if people care enough. Ever kind of thought about that? You know, I've been in situations, people describe the church, there's no conflict whatsoever. Everyone gets along. And my immediate reaction is, I wonder if people really care enough. Now, maybe that's a little skeptical. Maybe that's a little negative uh, opinion. But when it comes, when, when people care enough, something that often results is that there's going to be conflict. Conflict is something that exists whether it's in ministry or even just in our daily life, right? We will experience conflict, whether it's in circumstances, whether it's with people. We're going to experience conflict. We're going to experience those kind of situations. And our perspective and how we approach and how we react to those situations is going to be key. Our priorities in life is going to be key in how we respond in those situations, Last week, we took a glimpse of Paul. We looked at his perspective when it comes to ministry, his perspective in life. Paul began his letter by expressing his thanksgiving to the church, the brethren in Philippi who've been supporting him from the beginning. We talked about how he was in prison when he was writing. He was in custody when he was in prison or when he was writing this letter. And he's expressing his thanksgiving, his joy for the support that he was receiving. We saw a glimpse of Paul's perspective, even in a challenging situation. And we're going to continue to take a look at Paul's perspective in ministry. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I will have the verses later on in the message. But if you have your Bibles, please turn to that. And you can follow along with me. And we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Philippians 1, verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, 
so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause the distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I and I will rejoice. We'll stop there. Now, I mentioned last week, we're not quite certain where Paul was or when Paul wrote this letter. But one strong possibility is when he was in prison, when he was in Caesarea. If that's the case, if we're going to take into context that Paul is writing when he was in Caesarea, when he was in, in captive, he was in imprisonment in, in Caesarea, we could read this back in Acts chapter 23 and 24 when he was in Caesarea. If this is indeed the imprisonment that Paul was experiencing when he wrote the letter, the story kind of extends back to Acts chapter 21. I want to give you some background a little bit as we read along. It kind of gives a better, a better picture of the circumstances we're looking at. So if we understand that he was in Caesarea in the time when he was writing this letter, the story kind of goes, we'll pick it up in Acts 21. Now, we're not going to read all through it, but I'll kind of give a, a summary of what took place. Okay, So in Acts 21, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. Okay, He arrives in Jerusalem, and Paul goes to the temple. But some of the Jews identify Paul, and they seize him out of the temple, and they start to beat him. The reason is that they accuse Paul. They accuse him of preaching, and this is found in Acts 21, 28, that he was preaching to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place, this temple. So the Jews there who identify Paul don't like what he's doing. They're not Christian believers. They take him out of the temple and began to beat him, accuse him of preaching against the people, preaching against the law, and preaching against the temple. Well, word gets around, there's a big commotion. Word gets around to the Roman commander in the area. Think of it like a police officer or something, right? And today. So the Roman commander comes and he's trying to break up. All right, what's going on here? He's trying to figure out what's happening. Why are you beating this man? And they're all trying to accuse, throwing out all these accusations. He's not making sense of anything. So he gets him. And he begins, he's, he's going to take him to the barracks to be interrogated. We see this in Acts 21, 31 through 34. So before he brings Paul into the barracks, Paul has a moment and he addresses his accusers, the Jews who are accusing him, who had just beaten him. And what does he do? We see this in Acts 22, 1 through 21. Paul takes a moment before he gets put into the barracks to be beaten and interrogated. He turns, he turns to the Jews, the, those who are accusing him. Now what would you do? If you were in that situation, if you were falsely accused and beaten, 
And you had an opportunity to address your accusers, those who were beating you. What would you say? What would go through your mind? Would you be angry? Probably, huh? Defensive? Yeah, I would say so. Point fingers? We probably would. What does Paul do? He addresses the crowd. And he tries to explain his testimony. He lays out his testimony. What God called him to do. And the crowd was listening. He had their ear up to the point where he told them that God had sent him to the Gentiles. And once these Jews heard that God had sent him out to the Gentiles, they lost it. They're throwing dust up in the air. They say, ah, oh, you know, they wanted to, they were ready to get him there. So the Roman commander brings him into the barracks, chains him up, and was about to beat him and interrogate him through beating. We see this in Acts 22, verse 25. It says, And when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander, told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. See, Paul was a Roman citizen. He had Roman citizenship. And by law, they could not arrest him and beat him, interrogate him without formal charges. Without a formal hearing, like today, lawfully, right? So Paul, threw a, he had an ace up his sleeve. They were about to beat him and interrogate him. He said, wait, 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 is it lawful for you to do that? I'm a Roman citizen. So Paul, when, when the commander heard of this, was released from the barracks, but was still in Roman custody because he was a Roman citizen. Well, the, some of the Jews and then the chief priests got word of this. And so they began to plot against Paul. They had a plot to murder Paul, to assassinate him. Well, Paul's nephew, how many of you knew Paul had a nephew? That might be a little random fact. His nephew got word of the plot and sent word to Paul. And Paul said, tell the commander what you heard. Well, the commander heard of this plot. And so by being a Roman citizen, he was protected, and so he was sent to Caesarea under heavy protection to avoid this plot to kill Paul. So Paul was transferred over to Caesarea. We see this in chapter 24 through 23. We see that he was in Caesarea, and he was in custody, but he was allowed to have people, visitors, come to him, come minister to him. But in those circumstances, while in custody, what did Paul do? Paul saw the opportunity, and he was able to share the gospel, share his testimony to the governor, to his wife, to leaders, to the centurion guard, and word began to spread of Paul's testimony. Now think about that scenario. Under that backdrop, under that situation, Paul being falsely accused, beaten, arrested, waiting trial for two years, 
But in that two years, had the opportunity not only to have brethren come to him ministering, but he was able to share the gospel to this Gentile audience, this situation. So under that backdrop, we go back to verse 12 of Philippians. When Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. See, we immediately see Paul's perspective of his situation. What lens is Paul looking through? The situation he finds himself in. What remains the most important thing for Paul given his situation of imprisonment? Now, the word gospel is mentioned nine times throughout this letter. Four times already in our passage. We're only in verses through 18. So the gospel, right, knowing that Paul mentions this nine times throughout his letter, is a, a, an important theme throughout this letter. And we see that because Paul declares his current imprisonment turned out for, what does it say? The greater progress of the gospel. This is his perspective in his situation, in his imprisonment. As a bondservant, right, he introduced himself as a bondservant in verse 1 a bondservant, a slave for Christ. This is the lens that he sees his circumstance. This is leading to the progress of the gospel. Now think about it. Imagine this. You dedicate the rest of your life to share the gospel. You turn from whatever your future plans were. You said, okay, God, I am going to dedicate my life to share the gospel. I'm going to risk convenience. I'm going to sacrifice comfort. I'm going to risk losing relationships that I might have had. And I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a pastor. And then you find yourself in a situation. You're arrested. You're beaten. And you're imprisoned. What would be your perspective then? What would be your thoughts then? Would you see opportunity or disappointment. If you're in that situation, would you see an open door or a closed door? Paul's situation, his reaction, he saw two things, two ways the gospel was progressed, the progress of the gospel in his sufferings. The first way he saw it was there was opportunities to share the gospel. Look what he says in verse 13. I'm sorry. I need some help. There you go. One more. There you go. Opportunities to share the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. See what Paul, what we see with Paul, he valued that his hardship provided opportunities for him to share Christ with others. We saw that Paul, he had an unquestionable love for his fellow Jewish brethren. His heart for his Jewish brethren is unquestionable. 
But we also see his dedication and love to bring the gospel to a Gentile audience. That they would know the love of Christ. That was Paul's perspective. But Paul's situation isn't just for back in Paul. I wanted to read you a story I got from an Open Doors ministry. It tells a story of a 30-year-old, Mutaba, I don't know if I pronounced his name right, Husseini. He used to be one of the leaders of a quickly growing house church movement in Iran. That was before the church was raided and he was arrested and imprisoned for three years in an Iranian prison. Mutaba's story is an important reminder that while God may and often does use the suffering of persecuted believers to bring others to him, the depth of isolation and pain they experience is still very real. He also shows us the importance of praying with our brothers and sisters whom God is using in miraculous ways in the darkest of places. Like all Iranian Christians, Motaba knew the high stakes. If he organized and led a secret house church, an illegal act in a Muslim-majority Iran seen as a threat against national security, he, along with anyone participating in the church, could be arrested if they were discovered. And since he was a leader, his arrest would likely mean a conviction following a lengthy prison term. If he was somehow released and got out, a second arrest would surely mean a long sentence behind bars. Still, just as the disciples of 2,000 years ago and today's persecuted church leaders, they risked their lives to build a church around the world. Mutaba asked, why didn't I stop my work for the church after I was first arrested? I don't really know, he said. There was no logical explanation, but we felt that the Lord wanted us to continue. We knew this would mean we would get arrested at any moment. Mutaba tells a story with an eye for detail and a passion for Christ. He takes time to think about his answers and often grasps his Bible to look for a verse. He quotes 1 Corinthians 1.29, God did all this to keep anyone from bragging to him, he says. It's a central theme in his prison story. It's all about God, not about me. He knew God was with him when he was in prison, Wataba explains, but that knowledge didn't make prison life comfortable. Far from it. For the majority of his sentence, he was in a ward with murderers, robbers, and drug dealers. No one could be trusted. He also struggled to find hope, not knowing when or if he would actually be released. He says, I felt a deep fear inside of me, and often, even though the Lord was close, I was sad about my situation. My hands were tied. My voice wouldn't be heard by human beings. It was those uncertainties of not knowing he'd be robbed, killed, or even if he'd be released that were the most challenging. In his darkest hours, despite for help to go on, or desperate for help to go on, he turned to prayer. I prayed that was all I could do. At first they were prayers of repentance. I thought God was punishing me for my mistakes by putting me in prison. That was the moment he says he realized he was nothing. He says, then the Lord spoke to me and he said, stop being selfish, Motaba. It's not about you. It's about me. Look around you. 
For the first time since being jailed, he began to truly look at people attempting to see them as God does. He says, I saw poor people. People had committed the worst crimes. People that felt so alone. But Taba felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit to share God's word with these people he saw every day. God spoke again to me saying, it is time that you share me with them. They need me. Mutaba offers a hindsight observation. It's funny how God works sometimes. It would have been absolutely impossible for us to pass the big gates of prison to bring the gospel to those who needed him so badly inside. But God just placed me and other Christians inside the prison among them to shine his light. The former church leader began sharing his testimony and the gospel with the other prisoners. Some came to faith. Others were just very happy he wanted to pray with them in Jesus' name. He began to long for and pray for a Bible, even repeatedly asking the guards for a Bible. He said, I didn't get one. None of the Christians did. Then God intervened through one of the most unlikely sources. The prison imam, if you know what an imam is, the religious leader for, the, uh, for Muslims, who came every day to pray with the Muslim inmates, offered to help. He was imprisoned, or he was impressed by our commitment to our God, Mutaba says. I think it was God who filled his heart with thanksgiving for us, or filled his heart with kindness for us. Getting a real Bible into an Iranian prison was impossible, but the imam had an idea. He would bring in printouts of the Bible disguised as an English lesson. One of the friends Mataba had made in the ward was good at English and translated the scriptures into Farsi. From there, Mataba copied the texts and gave them to the prisoners who had requested them, both those who were curious about his faith and those who had already given their heart to Jesus. Soon it became known among all the prisoners that the Bible verses were circulating. We even got requests from other wards, he remembers. People were asking us for more. And the best thing was that prisoners was giving their lives to the Jesus of the Bible. Does that sound familiar to what we're reading? Isn't that amazing to think about? But I love how he says, my perspective changed. God told him, look around you. Look around the opportunities. Whether in comfort or trial, God can bring purpose to our situations by opening up opportunities to share the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. And the results aren't up to us. We don't know whether they're going to get saved. We don't know whether they're going to accept Christ. We don't know whether they're going to accept it or reject us. That's not up to us. But see, for Paul, he sees the opportunity and he shared the gospel The second way, it emboldened the believers. Verse 14, And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul's imprisonment inspired most of the brethren to be more courageous about sharing their faith. His experience motivated them to trust in the Lord more. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I mentioned how people are watching us, right? People watch us, how we respond to situations, especially if you're a Christian. They know you're a Christian. They know you go to church. 
Because you've told them, no, I can't go because Sunday morning I, I go to church Sunday or I go to church Friday night. They know you go to church. People are watching. And you never know the impact of your example for other people. We may never know the impact, what it inspires other people. But i got to admit, it's hard to be courageous alone, isn't it? Isn't it hard? It's difficult to be courageous alone. We fear being ostracized by our friends, right? We find comforts, though, when we can share our experience with others. When we can share that boldness. When we hear that someone was able to be bold with their faith. We can take an encouragement with that. Paul understood his suffering benefited others and he gladly experienced a hardship for the sake of the gospel. Paul was able to face his adversity in his circumstances, but Paul acknowledged his supporters, right? He acknowledged that he was not alone in his circumstances. But we also know Paul also had his detractors as well. He had his supporters, he had his detractors. Today we would call them what? His haters. Paul had his haters as well. Look at verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So it seemed to be the case for Paul. Paul had his supporters, but he also had his haters. There are two responses from Paul's imprisonment. We're not sure what the cause of the conflict was. We don't know the reasons why exactly Paul had his haters here. But we had two reactions. Some were preaching from a goodwill, right? From the sincerity of their heart, from goodwill, they were preaching Christ out of love. And they knew Paul was appointed as a defender of the gospel. They believed in what Paul was doing. And from there, they were preaching the gospel. But then there was another crowd. What's the other crowd look like? They were preaching from envy and strife. Yes, they were preaching Christ, but they were preaching Christ out of a selfish ambition. What are they wanting to do? To cause Paul distress while in prison. Interesting. These two, out, these two outcomes here. Yet some, out of a goodwill, preaching Christ, out of love, sincerity of their heart, wanting to support Paul. And then we had another crowd. Envy and strife. They were preaching Christ, but their intentions were impure. And they wanted to cause Paul distress while in prison. It seems that Paul, it all traces back to Paul. You know, they had whatever conflict they had with Paul. Paul had his supporters. But Paul had his haters. They preached Christ, but their motives were wrong. I don't know why. Maybe they saw Paul as a failure. I don't know. Right? If you're supposed to be a missionary for Christ and here you are in prison, what happened to you? I don't know. Maybe they were jealous. It looked like they said they were from envy and strife. So they were preaching the gospel. They wanted to have 
they wanted Paul to experience distress while in prison. We discover this, that we're going to have people who support us, and we're going to have people, we're going to have our share of haters wrong. Experience that? I think we've experienced, a lot of us experienced that. How many experienced the fact that people can be pretty petty? Yeah. People can be divisive, spiteful. People can have, be self-centered and willing to take advantage of your struggle, your suffering. Have you experienced that before? Certainly. People can be more concerned about being right than doing the right things. Right? How should we respond to this? When we're trying to do the right thing and we can have our supporters, then we can have our haters. We can have people who want to cause us distress. What's Paul's reaction? He says in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So what does Paul do with his haters? He pulls a Taylor Swift before there was ever a Taylor Swift. What does he do to his haters? Do y'all know what he does? How many of you even know what I'm about to say? He shakes it off. He shakes it off. He said, I have these haters. What am I going to do? I'm going to get the song stuck in your head all day. He shakes it off. What does he say? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For Paul, the priority is Christ proclaimed. Above his own comforts, above his own personal attacks on him, above his own reputation, the personal stuff is secondary to Paul. His priority was that Christ was proclaimed. Doesn't mean Paul wasn't hurt by it. I'm sure he was hurt by it. I'm sure his feelings were hurt. But his popularity, his likability was not the priority. Their motives, their intentions of why they did it was secondary to the fact that it was Christ proclaimed. All right. People got the word out of Christ. My pers- the personal tax on me is secondary. Now, how many of us will find that difficult to do? Right? If we're being attacked, if we have our haters, we're trying to do the right things, or we're in a situation that's difficult, sometimes it's so hard to see a situation like Paul. That the gospel will be the priority. That would be the perspective we see things. Right? That's difficult to do. Especially when our sense of value and worth and approval is tied to other people's thoughts and feelings, right? Isn't that hard to do? When we define our our value and worth and what we're doing as valuable tied to what other people think, it's hard to have Paul's perspective. It's not easy. What do we do when life circumstances don't turn out the way we want it to? And we have our challenges, whether it's circumstances or the people attacking us. What do we do? Let's look at the change in perspective. Let's glean from Paul in this passage. The first perspective that we can change, negative circumstances can result in positive results. 
If we can look at a situation for a second, a challenging situation, or we're facing challenging people, if we can change our perspective a little bit, negative circumstances can result in positive results. Not all bad situations result in only bad results. Finding purpose in a situation is overrated. I'm going to say that again. If you struggle to find purpose in a negative situation, let me tell you, finding purpose is overrated. Why do I say that? Because if you were told the purpose of a situation, it may not be satisfying to you. We struggle so much to find purpose in a situation. Instead of trying to find the purpose in a situation, how about we just simply say, God, help me to bring something positive for your sake out of this situation. If I could have a perspective, I'm including myself in this, if I can have the perspective of the gospel in each situation, regardless of what the purpose is of it, if I can say, God, help me to progress the gospel forward, even in this situation. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why the circumstances are. But that could be secondary to God. Help me bring something positive for you in this situation. The second thing we learn in this passage are circumstances or opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to unsuspecting ears. You may be put in a situation, you may be around people that you may not have been around before. Perhaps God's saying, here's your opportunity to share the gospel to some people you may not have ever interacted with. You may not have ever associated with or who needs the gospel, like the prisoner, like the pastor who's in prison. He looked around, he saw these murderers, the robbers, these thieves, these drug dealers, and God said, these are the people that need to hear me. Right? Third perspective. My name is not as important as the name of Jesus. My name is not as important as the name of Jesus. Whether I have haters or not, or whether someone is trying to do something in my place to try to spite me, that is not the priority. Is Jesus' name proclaimed? Right? We're not going to be competing with other churches. Right? We don't want to steal other people's congregation. We're not in competition. We just want Jesus' name proclaimed and shared. My name is not as important as the name of Christ, even in difficult situations, even in trying times. Perspective. Right? In those pictures that we saw at the beginning of the service, it wasn't an either or, was it? It was both. You saw both the rabbit and uh, whatever it was. Donkey, was it, or something like that? I forgot. A frog and a horse, an old lady, a young lady. It wasn't either or, it was both. Some situations, it's both. It's negative and positive. Sometimes we can see situations as both. There's negative circumstances happening. There's negative things happening to us, but there can be positive things as well. 
It may not have to be about what purpose we can find in a situation. But how can we respond into this situation? Can we change our perspective a little bit for the sake of the gospel? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, we know life can be hard, surprising, challenging. We can have things happen to us that surprise us, that hurt us. We can have our supporters and we can have our haters. We can be trying to do the right thing and just bad things seem to happen. May we learn from Paul's example here. Help us to change our perspective. Help us to look through the lens of the gospel. I pray for anyone who is going through some difficult times now, Lord. Maybe it's even challenging their faith. It's making them question the God that they believed in. Help them, Lord, to see a different perspective. To see you at work. To see that you are present with them in their circumstances. You have not left them. You have not forgotten them. And that you love them. And you will see them through. We thank you for your word. Praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.